that is within me cries for you alone be glorified amen you will come with us my heart sings a brand new song the dead is pain these chains are gone even you God with us who are we that you would be mindful of us what do you see it's worth looking
Good morning, Carpenter's Way. All right, if you guys are in the room, you know, if you're more than welcome to stand with us if you want to. You don't have to, but you're more than welcome to stand and worship with us. If you're logging in online, wherever you may be, please don't be a spectator. Join us in singing this one. Oh, come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold Him, born the King of Angels. Oh,
sit down. <laughs> if you're already standing, please remain standing. And if, uh, if you would, if you're seated, please stand with us as we uh, read these scriptures together. All right. For our God is born to us. I'm sorry. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of the heaven's armies will make this happen. Amen.
you did come. We're reminded that, that you didn't just float down from heaven, uh, uh, down across, and then float back up, that you, you actually came. You actually lived for 33 years, and you know exactly what it's like. You know what it's like to be us. You know what it's like to be human. You know the human experience, the fear, the, just everything that comes with this. And So God, this, as we go through the rest of this season, we ask that you would just continue to remind us through song, uh, as we work our way through Scripture together, you just continue to remind us, Lord, that you are a personal God. You are a personal God that cares deeply about each and every one of us, and so much so that you came and that you lived as one of us. So, Lord, we ask as, as we open your word this morning that you would open our hearts, open our ears to hear exactly what you have to say this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, Carpenter's Way. You can't see them out there. Things have changed since you were here last time, Cassidy. Most of the church is actually online. So say hi to all the people online. Hi, everybody online. There you go. And you've actually been part of that because you've been watching from Haiti a little bit. Well, let me just start by introducing you to Cassidy. For those of you who don't know, Carpenter's Way is a very mission-invested, involved church. And uh, for those of you who may be new to us or just watching online, a significant amount of our budget goes towards supporting First, uh, uh, the Southern Baptist missionaries all across the globe, there's somewhere around 5,000 of them globally that plant churches, reach people for the gospel, and then move on and disciple, disciple people to run their churches. But Carpenter's Way has chosen to invest also a significant amount of our resources into individual missionaries and mission organizations 
that, uh, that we really align ourselves with. And Cassidy is one of those stories. Uh, although not growing up at Carpenter's Way, she grew up at one of our sister churches, Denman Avenue, right? And her family still attends there. And it's, it's great to have you here today. Um, but, uh, you know, a godly heritage is often something passed down from parents, and you have done a phenomenal job. We, how long have you been on our mission team? Mm, maybe four years? That's no, a, or two? Between, <laughs> between two and 2,000 years, Cassidy has been. <laughs> oh, okay. In any case, she's, she's been with you. I'm trying to think because you graduated with my son at yeah, Lufkin High. So, and then we talked soon after that, and you, you jumped in, I like the year after that. So it's been about three years. So you were wrong on both accounts. But, but, <laughs> but Cassidy is a, a uniquely godly woman uh, called by him to this field that she serves in. And uh, coming home for Christmas and being with God, tons of change in the past few years. You have adopted a son, and the life continues. You've built a house. Or it's probably sterile in process. And she's going to share all this. I'm not taking your five minutes. You can still take it. But in, what, what I wanted to say is don't give up on your kids. Don't stop praying for them. Look what God does. And, and while not everyone will end up as a missionary, everyone will end up in the mission field. And whether it's here or abroad. And we are so proud of you. We are so honored to support you. We are so honored to pray for you. We feel like you belong to us. No offense to Denman. Uh... Uh, but we're so we're so glad to have you here. And she's home, so she asked to take a few minutes and greet you. Uh, and uh, so, Cassidy, why don't you take some time? Thank you. Hi, everybody. I'm Cassidy Everland, and obviously I don't know how long I've been doing this. So <laughs> um, I wanted to give you all a quick update today since I'm here in the States just for about a month. Um, so the, since the last time I was here, I actually now have legal custody of Josafa. So thank you all for your prayers and everything for that. Um, unfortunately, he, I'm missing one piece of paper, so he is not able to travel with me because he does not have a visa. So he's not here. He's in Haiti right now. Um, so that was definitely a big thing that happened in my life this year. Um, also, my school has grown tremendously since the last time I was here. Um, I now have almost 30 kids. I created two jobs with a teacher's assistant and a cook. I started a feeding program with my school, and all of my kids were able to receive backpacks, clothes, and we have all of our supplies this year. So that has been a big blessing this year. My school has just been getting bigger and better each year. Um, actually, this upcoming year, I'm hoping to be able to uh, build a small school. Um, so that's something I've been praying about and hoping that can happen this upcoming year. Um, I also have a kids uh, club that I started in a community close by. It's actually one of the first communities that I ever visited when starting going to Haiti. Um, I really wanted to give back to them and do something special for them. So I do it twice a month and they have anywhere from like 30 to 50 kids come. We have snacks, we play games, we dance, we do Bible stories. Uh, it's just a good community outreach just to show people that I'm there and that they're loved. So that's also something that I started this year. Um, I have one quick story that I'd like to share, and then I'm going to show a video. Um, so with my feeding program, I saw how big of a need it was for my kids because I go to their houses and I see their living conditions, and I really felt like I needed to start this feeding program. Um, when my parents visited, they noticed that my kids were bringing little empty peanut butter jars, and I, I, I just realized it when they did, and so I went up to the kids and I said, why do you have these empty peanut butter jars in your backpacks? Well, they were scraping half of their food that I give them from their bowl into the jars so that way they could take it back home to their families 
to feed their little brother or sister. And um, actually, the one that I noticed, she's only three years old, and it's just so sad to think that a three-year-old is thinking about feeding her little brother. And so um, that really made me realize how big of a need my feeding program is and in my school is. Um, I really think that my kids feel safe at my school and they feel loved. So um, I'm really thankful that I'm able to have my school and my feeding program and create jobs and hopefully have a new school building this upcoming year. Um, I will have a table out there if you want to come and ask me questions or just know more about what I do. And I think they're going to show a video right now. So thank you all so much for supporting me and praying for me and Joe Safa. We are so thankful. All right, come on up here. Cecil, I'm going to, uh, you're, you're bold of heart. Will you come up here? I'm going to ask you to pray for her. Uh, and uh, he did not know I was going to ask him to do that, but he's already had coronavirus, so he's not worried about the microphone. So, oh, no, he's safe. Um, a couple things. Uh, all, um, it is a privilege. We, we all can't get in a plane and go to Haiti for the rest of our lives. 
So God raises up some to do stuff like that, and it is a privilege to participate in that, isn't it? Those kids are learning about Jesus through her, but she can't do it without the, the resources. And over this past year, and I'm, I'm stepping out here, we, we were able to help with the food this year. Is that right? So, so as you know, over the past year, we weren't able to do our short-term mission trips, so we invested tens of thousands. All, that money all went towards su supplying food for her and, and many of our other missionaries. So thank you for that, you guys. And I, it's not as much a pat on the back as that's what stewardship is. That's what we do. And you are supporting them as well as Brazil. Uh, Cecil's been very involved in missions for many, many years, and that's why I, I'm going to ask him to pray for her. But I did want to mention one more thing, and that's um, starting a new school uh, is expensive, as well as building buildings and all. And if you'd like to participate with her on a personal level, you already do as a church, but if you'd like to be actively participating with her in some of these projects, talk to her at the table, ask questions. And she's not afraid of answering questions, right? Nope. No. <laughs> um, that, was the, that was the right answer. So, so, it, is, uh, so it, is a, it is an honor to participate with you, and we want to pray for you. We want to pray. What I'm going to ask you to pray for, Cecil, is that God will... You've been trying to get visas now for six months to get your boy out of Haiti to come back with you, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So I'm missing one piece of paper, the final piece of paper, and um, they lost my paperwork. I had to resubmit it. They lost it again. Typical Haiti. Um, so I'm just waiting on one piece of paper to try to get the visa. Haiti, you just described the DMV. So <laughs> in any case, so what we want to do is we want to, this morning together, we want to ask the Lord to release those papers. And we want, um, that, that's it. I was asking her up here, uh, uh, this child um, that she adopted, mother has passed away, father is still alive, but he has relinquished all rights to her. So she is, there's no way that she can lose this child. That is her baby. But imagine not being able to bring your child to the United States. And as you know, even on the American side, our government's a mess right now. So where in other times, maybe they've been able to be helpful, they're not right now. So we just want to ask that God's hand is upon her. And whatever else you'd like to pray for, Cecil. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work that you're doing. We, we're just so amazed to see how you can take somebody from Lufkin, Texas, move them to Haiti, and let them have the impact that... Uh, that Casty's having down there. We ask that uh, you would continue your work, that you would continue to bless this family, that uh, you would allow this paperwork to be released and uh, the visas and passports and all that are needed would, would just miraculously uh, be provided. Uh, we look forward to the day that uh, Casty and Joseph can, can be here in this church in Lufkin, Texas with us and let us see the impact that you've had on his life. Uh, as we look at the video of all of these smiling children, uh, we just thank you that, that Casty's there. We hear these children say, Jesus loves me. And we know this truth, but we wonder how you would have let them know this truth if she hadn't gone. So thank you for her obedience. Thank you for her faithfulness. We ask that you just multiply the blessings in Haiti that it goes from her school and uh, spreads throughout that nation, Lord. We thank you for all that you do, for all that you are, and that you let us participate. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Wow. Isn't that cool?
Don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your grandkids. They, they will not, don't have to be in full-time ministry to see God work, but even mom and dad, thank you for letting her move to Haiti. I know the youth today are rebellious and you didn't have much choice, but uh, it's, it's a big cost, isn't it? You guys have been there a bunch, right? Yeah, that's good. That's good. A um, couple uh, family notes that I want to highlight uh, about as, as Christmas comes closer. Are, are you enjoying the videos? Are they amazing? I mean, to hear the stories, I, uh, last night was especially meaningful because Joel said more on the video than I've ever heard him say in all the years I've known him. I didn't even know he could talk. I mean, that was quite incredible. But please, if you haven't seen them, they're all archived. You need to watch them. You need to look. It's so good, especially in this year where we haven't seen each other. You can hear what God is doing in each other's lives. And some stories are, are, are uh, scary and tragic and God working through that. And some stories are, I remember when I was started asking some of our folks if they'd share, several of the people went, we really haven't had that many trouble. And then, of course, I still am laughing about the Douglases who said at the beginning, we thought we had a pretty good life till somebody told us they were sorry our life was so tragic. You need to watch that one. I mean, talking about being unaware. <laughs> but, but it's so good. Promises kept is our theme this Christmas because I think it's important for us to realize in this horrible, uh, divide, horribly divided nation that we have put so much trust in I mean, we just have expected our country to be better than this. We're not. It's a sinful nature, nation, and our hope is in the Lord. What a wonderful time for us to realize that. And uh, going through Advent, I hope you're enjoying that. We have uh, this, uh, the next two weeks, we'll wrap up our Advent season series next Sunday morning with our family Christmas. And then, uh, and then we have Christmas Eve service. And I want to remind you that there are two this year, and the purpose is, is so that the room is half empty. Uh, we, it's usually a very well-attended service, and if you're feeling well enough, and uh, uh, then the first one is at 5 o'clock, and it'll go from 5 to 5.30, and then in between services, we've got a team that are going to sanitize the room, and then at 6 o'clock, the second service will start, and uh, so we encourage you to come and bring your family, and, and uh, some have been asking about masks. We ask you to obey the government, wear them as you come in, and then when you're seated, uh, you can take your mask off if you feel safe, or if you don't want to, you can leave it on. But we just really want to encourage you to come and celebrate and see each other. For those of you who haven't been back, and look, there's a lot of you that are being careful because you have illnesses or, or whatever. But for those of you who aren't dealing um, with that, I want to remind you of how important it is that we see each other. Seeing each other, you can learn the scriptures from a book or, or you can watch online, but man, there's something about looking in each other's eyes and seeing that we're okay. Don't undervalue that. And uh, that's one of the reasons why in January, and I know some of you have kids uh, that you're taking care of and you're, you know, they don't do well during the service, so you haven't been bringing them. We're going to start in the 1st of January. January 3rd is the first Sunday, and we're opening up our children's ministry then. That means Sunday morning, during worship service, we're going to have children's ministry. During the Bible study hour, we'll have children's ministry again. And then we're going to start up our Wednesday night services. I'm very excited. Some of you are going to go, oh, we're kind of doing that. But there is a video series called The Chosen that has been out uh, over the last year and a half or two years. Um, and we are going to start the year by watching and discussing each of them one at a time. There's like eight of them. So that's what we're going to start at the beginning of the year. And I know one Bible study is watching them right now. But don't you want to talk about it? I mean, it's so good. So that's what we're going to do at the, the, to start up our Wednesday nights again. And if you haven't seen it, I am not a fan of Christian movies. No offense to Christian movie actors and stuff. That's fine. But I'm just not really a big fan. 
man, this is a great series. It's so good. It's well acted. It's well written. And it'll bring you to tears. And, and you just, you'll see. So we encourage you to come out to that. There'll be children's ministry on Wednesday night. Um, a couple things, though. Uh, as we have appreciated your involvement this last year in these weird season, remember that you make ministry happen here. Just like Cassidy, go, Cassidy, Cassidy. <laughs> wait till her son comes home and hears Cecil say his name. Are you aware you have a southern accent? No, no you're not aware of that. It's the rest of us that are a mess. So, but um, but um, as Cassidy uh, uh, or as Cassidy goes, God has called us to go here too. And part of our ministry is taking care of each other. And I say that for this, that there are some families that are that are gun shy about coming back until they're vaccinated. And I understand all that. But one of the things we need to make our children's ministry happen is volunteers. And so here's how we're doing that. Uh, starting the first of the year, while we have our teachers in place, we're going to ask our parents to uh, volunteer if you're willing, but our parents, we're going to ask you to serve in that ministry periodically as well. So we'll just, just to help the teachers out and all that, we need you to help to make it work. And then as more people volunteer, uh, well, we always think it's good that we, we serve each other this way. But remember, you are the ministers. You are the people that makes it happen. So we're starting that in January, and we're only able to do what you allow us to do. So while we have a plan in place, that can only take place as you participate in that. So folks I, at home, I encourage you to be praying about when the Lord wants you to come back. If you are at high risk, the elders want me to keep telling you, and I agree with that, please don't push it. That's not what we're asking. But if you're in good health and it's become real easy just to stay home, I, I get that too. Uh, but make sure you have fellowship, Christian fellowship as well. And uh, so we're going to be kicking in. Everything's going to be starting up on January 3rd again. And uh, we encourage you to jump in. There is one thing that's not going to start in January 3rd, and uh, that's coffee. Bring your own. Um, coffee is the one thing, and here's why. Coffee is the one area that everybody gathers, especially in this church. You have a caffeine addiction. And uh, we have, you know, those carafes, everybody touches them. And uh, whether you think this virus is real or not, we, we just don't want to, we don't want an outbreak at the coffee thing. So after the vaccine's been out for a few months, we'll kick in that coffee thing again. Please feel free to bring your coffee or whatever. But we just really feel like that's a better part of wisdom, especially because although we seem to be doing okay in our community, it is, it is surging. So, and our, and our point wasn't to keep people out of church. Our point was to be wise. And, and you know, it's been a blessing because we have not been a source of outbreak at, here at Carpenter's Way. And uh, thank you for bearing with us. I know some of you, it's really bummed you out. And we're, we're not trying to bum you out. We, we just are trying to be wise and to be all things to all people. And, and uh, thank you for bearing with us. Thank you for, thank you for being involved. Uh, one more thing about the online thing. We're not backing off from that. Uh, this video series uh, called Promises Kept that we've done, while the people shared their testimony, it's been edited and all the stuff you saw, Jeff Bonin did. And uh, I mean, it, it's incredible. I mean, he has done an enormous amount of work. He wrapped each of those gifts. He made the tree. He grew the tree. Um, but all, all kidding aside, we are very excited about leaning into the digital media. For those of you who watch online from outside of the Angelina County area, we're going to continue to put these things online. We're going to continue to minister to you. We want to continue to be your spiritual family. Uh, while we can't take the place of, of skin and blood, we're going to continue to do that. And now through this series, we've seen what he's capable of. And one of the reasons we're excited to be hiring a, a student pastor over in the next, uh, God willing, four or five months, um, we are, it will allow Jeff to, and, and us to do more things like this. 
So um, thank you again for your support. As I mentioned last week, we could do this part-time, but it wouldn't allow us to do it uh, with such efficiency and effectiveness. So thank you for giving. Uh, as we come to the year end, we did fall behind a little bit this year, as you can imagine. If, if you're able to give a little extra, I know everybody's asking. Uh, if you're able to do that, we would appreciate it. If not, the Lord is taking care of us, and he will next year. So um, that's all the family news I have. Any questions? What you say at home? See if you were here, you could have asked. Um, uh, but, but anyway, let me make sure I went through everything uh, that I kind of wanted to hit. Is Alicia in the room? Is there anything you want to say? No. Okay. Uh, oh, I did have one more thing. This is a traditional Carpenter's Way thing, and it's going to be really weird this year. But each year, we have mailboxes out there by the, where the coffee is, is usually served. Um, it's a big white box thing, and there's, there's uh, alphabetized uh, boxes in there. And in the years past, what we've done is uh, those of you who still mail Christmas cards to other people in the church, uh, they've put their cards in there, and you look for a card for you, and, and they've taken the money that they would have spent on stamps, which is $7.55, um, and they, they give it to missions. You can put it in a pink envelope and write missions or uh, however you'd like to do that, but we take that money and we give to missions as well. That's going on again this year. So... Um, that's by out there as you go out. It's right by where the coffee thing is, and you'll see it. If you have any questions, contact the church office. Je uh, Steve, did I miss anything on that? Steve kind of oversees that ministry, and it's, it's been going on for a long time. And I know if you're at home, that's a little more difficult. But remember, we're here all week. Uh, we had some people this week who are at high risk who came by and put envelopes in there, so feel free to do that. So remember that we're not a show, even though, even though the performances are excellent. <laughs> We are a church, and we're a family, and we'd meet in a living room if we could. And so don't, don't let all the lights and the, and the TV and all that stuff confuse you. We're just doing God's work. And uh, Cassidy, thank you again for being a part. And, uh, all right, let's get into our text. Actually, let me pray one more time, and it'll focus us on the Lord. Jesus, I ask you right now to take the half hour that we have and, and speak to us, Lord, um, about love. And, Father, what I'm going to talk about this morning... I, it's really, really important, although none of it's never been heard. We've all heard it before, but I pray this morning that your children's hearts would be primed for what you want to say, and that we would be in awe of your love for us and be transformed by that. So Lord, thank you again for the fact that we can gather in this room and online. Thank you for the technology. Thank you for the time in which we live, and I thank you for a country who needs the hope of the gospel. That means we can be more effective than we've ever been before. So give us hearts of hope and peace, and joy, and may we be people who uh, live out love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the most powerful stories or parables that Jesus told, one of the most famous, is the parable of the Good Samaritan out of Luke 10. The story tells about a Jewish traveler who was robbed and beaten, uh, left for dead on the side of a road. A priest, a Jewish priest comes along, sees him laying there, and for whatever reason decides to cross to the other side of the road and doesn't help him. And then a priest's assistant comes by and sees him laying at the side of the road, bloodied and beaten and laying there. And he also looks at him and crosses the road like the priest and travels by. A third person comes by who happens to be a Samaritan, as you know. And this guy stops. He binds his wounds, puts him on his own donkey, and takes him into the nearest village and actually pays the innkeeper of an inn to take care of him until he can come back and take care of him himself. As I've already said, and as Jesus points out, the guy who's beat up and, and by the side of the road, 
that guy's a Jew. The guy who helps him is a Samaritan. Well, this is a favorite story for the church today. Uh, it is an astoundingly offensive story to Jesus' listeners. To the people that Jesus preached this to, this was highly offensive because the Jews hated the Samaritan. They hated him. And the Samaritan in this story is the hero. He's the example of loving your neighbor. You see, the Jews hated the Samaritans because, uh, uh, because they were the uh, children of the Jews who had married into the Assyrians after the nation of Israel, 700 years before Christ was born, splits. The nation splits, and half of the, half of the kingdom, or more than half of the kingdom, actually intermarry, breaking the Jewish law that God had established, and their children are Samaritans. These are the great-great-grandchildren of them. And actually, the religious leaders of their day propagated this racial prejudice because of religious reasons. They hated the Samaritans. The Jews considered them an inferior race and a corrupt religion. They viewed them as a Jewish people with prejudice and disdain. And it was fueled, fueled by hate, hateful words of the Jewish religious leadership. And yet, in this story of the good Samaritan, the Samaritan guy, Jesus is holding up as an example of how we should love our neighbors. The love that Jesus portrayed in the story that we all know, and he also talked nonstop about love, is a bold and boundary-breaking love. Now this morning, there is a temptation when we think of Christmas and hear love for us to kind of nod off into sleep. We think of the silent night song. We think of the baby in a manger. We think of Mary cuddling her infant. We think of the cute little clean sheep there. Our, we we, we kind of slide into this oh, heartwarming hallmark mentality, which isn't a bad thing, except when it comes to the love God's talking about. Because the love of God was radical. It was offensive. It was an action. It wasn't a feeling. It was, well, it broke the boundaries of prejudice. The love of Jesus defies and overcame personal feelings, unforgiveness, and even resentment. Today, as uh, we continue our journey through Advent, we're going to focus on love. The love that Jesus brought into our world and our lives as exemplified in that first Advent. As a quick recap for those who haven't been with us, the word Advent means coming or arrival. And over the past four weeks, and there's one more next week as we look at Christ himself, what we've done is, is we've come to understand that Advent isn't the doorway to Christmas, it's actually its own season. That the season of Advent is where we marry history, the present, our present experience, and our hope and our peace and our joy that we've already talked about that's found only when we put our trust in the promises of God. To be honest with you, and I'm not exactly how to say it, I've said it the last three weeks, but Christmas to me has always been a cool holiday. Thanksgiving has always been my favorite holiday. Christmas was a cool holiday because it's the birth of our Lord, but I never really could connect with why it matters all that much. I mean, I know I, I, I love Christmas, I love the colors, I love the food, I love the food, um, but Christmas, the birth of Jesus, is like the opening act for his redemption of us on Easter. Easter was the big holiday. 
But this year as I've slowed down and I've taken some time to look at Advent, I began to realize that Christmas, the value of it for the child of God, is we can look back and we can see all of thousands and thousands of years of promises that started in Genesis chapter 3 when God promised Eve that through her lineage, one of her sons would crush the serpent, referring to Satan's head, even though he, the, the serpent, would bruise the heel of her, of her uh, lineage. It's talking about the Messiah. From the days of old, the sacrificial system setting up, it was looking forward to God sending someone who would finally remove our sin, not just cover it. When we use the word atonement from the Hebrew, it just means a covering. The problem with sin is, in the end, it's not enough, it's not enough to cover sin. If you have cancer on your arm, skin cancer, and all you do is put a bandage over it, you can make the skin cancer look like a simple cut by putting a bandage. If people say, what's wrong with you? You can say it's just a cut. But if it's skin cancer and it goes, and it's, and it goes with untreated, it will kill you. Sin is kind of the same thing. Under the old covenant, your sin was not removed. It was merely covered by the blood of bulls and goats. And the problem is the blood of bulls and goats didn't satisfy. It was a holdover. It was a holding tank. By faith, you put your trust in God's promise that one day he would send send the Passover lamb who would actually take away or remove the sin of the world. That's Jesus. The value of Christmas is when we look back and we can see that promises over thousands of years in difficult times and even being questioned were fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. And if he kept that promise once, he'll keep it for us. And what is the promise that we have to hold on to? That he's coming again. That there's a second advent. You know, in the New Covenant, in the New Testament scriptures, their hope was the second coming of Christ. That was where, that if you read the Gospels, you will wonder, if you don't understand this, why did they talk so much about the kingdom? Oh, that was a Jewish concern. It wasn't a, just a Jewish concern. As Gentiles were coming into God's family, they were also passionate about God coming and making all things right. The end of the New Testament, uh, Revelation, the last words of the last chapter of Revelation are, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, even so come. They're calling for him to keep his promise. And um, there's a lot of things that are promised to us. I promise everything will be okay. That's a promise people can't make. But when God promises to make everything okay, because he has never broken a promise, especially in the first advent, we know he can be trusted for the second. So why does that matter, especially in a year like this? Is in a year like this when everything that we have come to trust, our country, whatever else, our health, the fact that, it seems to always be fine. What, whatever things have become unnerving to you this year, it's going to be okay. Because our hope is not found in who's in the White House or who runs the media or whether or, they not, or not they're, they're, uh, they have an agenda. Our hope is in the fact that God is coming back to break all injustice, to fix the wrongs, to, to, to take us home, Jesus' final words to the disciples is, Behold, I go and I'm building a place for you. I'm going. And when I'm ready, I'm coming back to get you. That is our hope. And the study of Advent gives us the opportunity to go. That's exactly how Simeon and Anna felt. That's exactly how the faithful Jews of old felt. That's exactly how they felt. Have you forgotten us? Read Psalms. It's full of verses where the psalmist is writing about whether or not they've been forgotten by God. But they always end with, but I will trust in your unfailing promises and your unfailing love. 
Every song ends with trust in the Lord. And over the last few weeks, we've talked about hope, we've talked about peace, we've talked about joy. And one of the things, if you've been paying attention, is all of them are only received as you do one thing, and that is put your trust in the Lord. If you put your trust in the Lord, then you trust His promises to come back, and that gives us peace, even with a diagnosis of cancer. If you put your trust in the Lord, there is hope, hope and injustice. As the world is unjust, we know that God, will, God who is justice will make all things just one day. There's joy even in the most dire of circumstances because we know that our joy is not found in YOLO, you only live once, or having a good life. It's found in the promises of God. Each week of our Advent conversation thus far, we have focused on those different attributes of God seen in that first Advent. Peace, hope, and joy. We've done this by looking at different people in the Nativity story. We've looked at Simeon and Anna. We looked at Mary and Elizabeth. We looked at all of these characters. We looked at the shepherds one week. But this morning, I want to do something different. Instead of looking at an individual story or individuals, I want us to look across the whole biblical account of Christ's birth. Don't worry, I'm not going to read it all. (laughs) Which brings us together, a wide variety of people across different divides and contrasts, as we look at this week's attribute. Now, before I do this, I need you to not slide into a slumber this morning. Because like I said, nothing I say is going to be new to you. But put together, you are going to see the value of this in 2020, especially in light of the current climate, the social, emotional climate of the world. One of the things that we see throughout the story, as we walk through it in chronological order, it starts, uh, is, is the diverse people and beings and creation that he brings together to worship him at his birth. For instance, the story starts with Zechariah and Elizabeth, and Mary and Joseph. From the very outset of the nativity story, we see intense contrasts of people and things. For instance, in that story alone, where Mary and Elizabeth gather, you see the contrast of old and young. Elizabeth is very old. Mary is very young. You see religious leaders and humble uh, blue-collar people. Remember, Elizabeth and Zechariah were both priests that God considered righteous. We looked at that last week. While Mary is just a blue-collar little girl from Nazareth who is engaged to be married to a carpenter and had every expectation that she would grow up in this little no-name mock town called Nazareth. But God called her out for something greater. Then there, we meet the shepherds and the angels. The shepherds and angels. You've got the, the beings of earth and of heaven. The physical and the spiritual interacting. Something that I think we don't give nearly enough time talking about. There's a spiritual world out there that existed before we were even created. And we kind of think of them as a few things out there when we don't realize that they are more permanent than we have ever been. And in the story of the shepherds, you have the physical and the spiritual coming together and interacting. Our story then leads us to a stable where we actually find animals as well as humans, the beings of creation standing together over the creator at the manger. Now look, you might be going, okay, that's really an interesting thing, but I want you to know that this drama was written by God in his sovereign past. None of these characters, whether it was sheep or a manger scene or angels or, well, Matthew's account introduces us to the Magi. Look at this contrast. We honestly don't know a lot about these guys. A lot of people guess, but they don't really know. 
Uh, what we do know is that they had followed a star a long distance. Some scholars think that they came from as far as China to find and worship the promised Messiah. Whether they're astrologers or some kind of rulers, we really don't know. But the Magi are noble and they're wealthy men who demonstrate God bridging even more divides. For instance, the Magi are dis esteemed men, opposite of the lowly shepherds that God calls to the manger. They are Gentiles. Think about that. God calls these men from long distances. As far as we know, it's up to two years after his birth. The Magi don't, the wise men as they're often called, don't actually go to the stable. They go and visit Mary and Joseph and Jesus when he's somewhere between birth and two years old but living in a home. The Magi follow the star. That star was in the sky so that they could follow. God invited Gentiles to worship the Savior. That's huge. Their inclusion in Jesus' birth story echoes the radical idea that Christ the Messiah brings salvation and restoration to all people, not just Jews. The Magi seem to belong to a more mystical tradition than the Jewish leader's conservative religious structure. What we would expect if we wrote the story, that it would be the religious conservatives that, Jesus would, that God would invite to Jesus' manger scene. He doesn't invite. There's not one Pharisee or one Sadducee in any of the stories of the Nativity. Not one. But he invites magi, mystical men from the far, to come and worship him? At some point you have to step back and take a breath and go, none of this is random. God is making a statement if we slow ourselves down enough. And, 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 you know, the story of the nativity, and we've talked about this, while cute when kids act it out, that's most of our recollection of the story. The story ends with that crescendo of sheep singing away in the manger with Mary and Joseph and the, and the wise men that are there. So in our brains, they're all together there. We don't slow down long enough to look at the characters. And what a crazy group of characters this was. No Pharisees. No Sadducees. The closest thing to religious hierarchy is Zechariah. And the truth is, he's done with the story soon after she gets pregnant. The cast of characters that God assembled for the arrival of his son on earth is far from the expectation that any of us would have imagined. And even farther from the expectations of the people of that time who lived within the social constructs of, of a culture that is extremely prejudiced. This is really, really hard for Americans to understand. And it doesn't excuse prejudice, but prejudice did not start with slavery in the United States of America. Prejudice has always been a part of the human story after the fall. I would argue that even with Cain killing Abel, you have religious prejudice. One guy wants God to accept him, but not on God's terms, so he kills the other worshiper. Divisions have happened since the beginning of time. To us, it may seem like a ragtag gathering of people, but to the religious conservatives of their day, it was downright blasphemous that the Messiah that they had looked for for so long, and all of the religious leaders talked of Jesus or God sending a Messiah to come and rebuild a kingdom. A new Moses, they would call him. But it was offensive and even blasphemous to them that the Messiah would be so lowly and associated with a full spectrum of unclean humans and creation itself. He was, in fact, born in a barn, which, by the way, is a joke I used to hear up in Ohio all the time when somebody would eat with their fingers. What, were you born in the barn? No, but my Savior was. Feel free to use that anytime you want. 
It's hard to imagine God putting together a, a, a more diverse, a, a opposing group of worshipers, but at that first advent, in so doing, God revealed several things about his love that I'd like for us to explore together in the time we have remaining. First, Christ didn't merely speak of this radical love. He exemplified and lived it. He didn't only talk of loving. He loved with its deep-rooted, self-sacrificing meaning. The Bible talks about love in many places, but the most powerful love statement in all of Scripture is that God isn't just loving, but, quote, God is, in fact, love. I take you back to another text that we're familiar with where we talk about this. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And over the years together, I've told you that Jesus wasn't saying, I am a way, I am truthful, and you can, find, you can find some semblance of life through me. Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Well, God is also love. It isn't an adjective describing his behavior, it is who he is. I want you to think about this. The whole story we will celebrate on December 25th is based upon one, this one single characteristic of God. Kevin, will you put that verse up there? Take a moment and read it, even if you're at home. And I ask you one simple question. Why did God send his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life? Love. The impetus of Jesus' coming was God's love. It wasn't so you didn't go to hell. It wasn't so, so your life would be better. It wasn't to heal the blind and, and the lame. It was because he, didn't, he wanted us to have eternal life with him. He loved us. The story of humanity from creation to that first advent is God making, uh, God making people, sharing time with them in the garden as his companions and his children. It's the story of them disobeying him and sin entering the story of humanity, bringing death and brokenness and ultimately separation between God and his favorite creation, humans. Immediately, though, in the story, in Genesis chapter 3, immediately, God kills an animal and covers, atones for their nakedness. Remember that? Remember when he kills the animal and covers? The word in Hebrew for covering is atoning. Well, no, atoning is a word for sin. It's also the word for covering. And then he makes a promise that he will send a Messiah, the child of Eve, to atone for our sin. From Genesis chapter 3, the Old, story, the Old Testament story is all a story of God's plan to fulfill his promise that soon a Messiah would come and, and make a way, the only way, to restore the relationship that was broken by sin between creator and creation. Does that make sense? The promised Messiah was Jesus. The Father sent Jesus into the world as a baby to restore our relationship with him. It's a relationship of love described as marriage in the New Testament. We are the bride of Christ. He is our groom. And in other places, it talks of it as an adoption, bringing us into his family. Ephesians 1.5 says that his unchanging plan was to what? Adopt us. His unchanging plan was. The reason that Jesus did all the stuff Jesus did was so that we could be adopted. Why did God send Jesus into the world? Because he loved us and he wanted relation. Everything about God and human is relational. It's not religious. 
Jesus Christ is, did not come to keep you out of hell. He came to make you right with His Father. The reason people don't for our sin, He paid for it. But not just to keep us out of trouble, but actually to make us His children. Galatians says that at just the right time, God sent His Son to adopt us. What I'm trying to point out is that in the story of the Nativity, God continually broke boundaries. He was making a statement. And the statement was one of love. The, the, his followers, his love is a radical boundary-breaking love. And for us, it cost him deeply. And it all happened because God loved us so very much. If you want to hear about love of God, 1 John 4 is the best chapter. Because in 1 John 4, John the Apostle, who, <clears throat> who also wrote John 3.16... It's core to his message, for God so loved the world that he gave. He explains the love of God in 1 John 4. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world. The story of the nativity is a love story. He did that so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. While the Hallmark Channel movies, and I want to thank all the men who have been writing me on texting and admitting they watch it too, <laughs> from your deer stands. While those are romantic love and it makes your heart warm, the truth is John wants you to know that this is real love. There's always been a confusion as to what is real love. Real love is seen in that we didn't love God, but he loved us and sent his sons to sacrifice, to take away our sins even before we loved him. You see, Jesus was born in a manger to a woman and her husband who had no idea what a Messiah really would do. To a group of religious people who had no idea what he was really coming to do. Inviting shepherds, the dirtbags of society, and proclaimed by angels. Because that's what love does. Love doesn't seek its own. Love doesn't need to be appreciated for it. Love does the right thing because he's in love. John tells us here that God is love. He doesn't just act loving, he personifies it. Love is his nature. And he acted who he is and how he feels about it. He acted that out. And by doing the only thing he could to restore a relationship with us, he sent Jesus to be our sacrifice. And what did that love cost God? Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Though he was God, referring to Christ, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. For those of you who feel that you are being violated by being asked to care for your neighbor right now. That's not how Jesus felt. He didn't think of equality with God something to cling to. I'm God. I deserve to be treated like God. How dare... That's not what he did. Instead, he gave up his divine rights or privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. 
and died a criminal's death on the cross. That's a pretty radical statement. Jesus Christ is the second member of the Trinity, equal to God. And though he was God, he didn't demand that he be treated like God. In fact, he allowed himself to be born in a barn and put in a manger with a bunch of dirty animals and probably poop all around. He allowed himself to be rejected to be put in a a bed in an inn. He filled them up. He didn't invite religious leaders. He invited shepherds. And he didn't make his mommy and daddy impressive people. He didn't even let them be Zechariah and his prophetess wife. He chose a no-name girl from Nazareth who was a virgin and her carpenter, stonemaker husband? Are you kidding me? No offense to carpenters, but it's hard to imagine God being born to a stepdad of stone. That's not who we choose. And it cost him everything. His whole life, that scenario would make him the result of mockery. Can anything good come from Nazareth? We know his dad, and that can't be a prophet. Remember those words in the Gospels? Observation number two. The love of God that he has shown for us should propel us into loving action as well. On Jesus' first advent, there was a restoration plan propelled by his love for us. God the Father's plan to adopt us, to bring us into his family, propelled Jesus into obedience to the point where he was born, spent nine and a half months in a womb that he created, slipped down that canal, was born like any other human, spends nights in a manger with straw, and all that comes with that. At about two years of age, he has to run to Egypt so that the Jews won't kill him. And pretty much for his, own, his whole life, they are wanting to kill him. He did that, propelled by the Father's love for us. In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus, one of the last things he says, and this is the Passover meal on earth in the upper room with the disciples, Jesus says this to his disciples as they finish their meal. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. What's it say? Love each other, and he tells you how much love. Go ahead. Now those of you at home, I hope you read that. Read it to your kids. Read it to your wife. Read it to your husband. And now I'm giving you a new commandment, disciples. I'm about to die. I'm going to be arrested. Three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And then I'm going to go and I'm going to be ascended into heaven. I'm leaving you and the Holy Spirit's coming. So here's a new commandment I'm giving you. Love each other and with the same kind of love that I loved you. With that same love, you should love each other. Wow. Jesus wanted to make sure. Oh, the next verse. Look at this. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus wanted to make sure that the disciples understood that they, that we, are to love others the same way he loved us. Boy, I may agree with you, my conservative friends, 
about the wacky political media junk this last year. In fact, I do. I'll just say it. I agree with you. But there was a lot of wacky stuff said about God when he was born. And he still humbled himself and did it. We need to be careful to make sure that our commitment to loving others for the sake of the kingdom is more important than our rights as Americans. You know what I'm saying. Take it up with the Lord. Back to this, though. While the church has a tendency to talk about love a lot, I'm not sure that we really grasp in our hearts and our minds just how significant a part of our mission it is. In John 13, 35, that last verse I almost forgot to read, it says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Apparently, Jesus taught that by, by the love we exhibit, people will know that we're followers of Christ or not. That's huge. Actually, John, who was there to hear Jesus teach this, said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love each other because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates his fellow believer, that person's a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? What? You see, love is a natural outgrowth of the Holy Spirit being inside of us. Please understand that you did not get a ticket on the train to heaven when you got saved. You got the Holy Spirit. And that transforms. God lives within you. You are not God, but He is in there. You are called the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that not only changes how we think, but it changes how we react. I, I'm going off script, and Julie has a, a little bit, because I, I want to tell you, and you all know this to be true. This is not shocking. But Julie has a, uh, she, she feels a kinship with this, this woman who is a, uh, is a decorator, lives in Mississippi. Half of you now know who she's talking about. After Waco, uh, Joanne, the Gaines, went off, they came on, and we felt like we grew with them. We liked their show. They seem, the husband is now a woodworker. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. Guys who don't have a man card, you know what I'm talking about. There's no point in going into detail. But, but the fact is that her husband was a Methodist youth pastor. They're incredibly, they seem to be incredibly loving. We've been to the community. That's how obsessed my wife gets. But but it's, a, it's an interesting town. They've had a huge impact on the town. And they are very open people. They don't live like hiding their family. And they've posted pictures of their new daughter. And Christians have been ugly to them. And lately she's been writing, stop it. Why are you doing this? Not unbelievers, but believers. People who claim to be Christians. It's really quite remarkable how we can attack each other. Do we love God or do we love Christianity? Do we love because God first loved us, or do we love morality? The church hasn't been that great at loving. Not the lost or the found. And 1 John 4 says that we love each other because he first loved us. The love that is defined as a true follower of Jesus is a, is a sandwich board. Uh, you know what a sandwich board is? Remember in the 40s, during the uh, 30s and 40s, after World War II, you'll see, you've seen pictures. Guys walking around, will work for food. It's, it's, it's a, oh, I'm killing this. It's wood. Do you guys kind of know what I'm talking about? Oh, man, I should have put a picture up there. I didn't know I was going to do this. This is what happens when you leave your notes. But there's a sandwich board, and you could tell who they were working for. People would be paid by walking around. You know how the guys hold the signs now? And they spin them? Actually, they don't. They just go, they do this, and they get on the phone. But they're supposed to be spinning them and they hold them up, that's kind of a sandwich board. The sandwich board of a Christian is not our ability to defend our doctrine from Scripture. It is love. 
That is the defining characteristic of a child of God. Now, I'm not saying that doctrine isn't important in knowing what you believe. I'm simply saying that telling somebody off with the Bible does not reach them for Christ or promise that you're saved. It just means you're smart. The thing that determines whether or not we are true followers of Jesus is love. Well, I kind of liked your messages on hope and joy and peace. Those were things that happened to you as you put your trust in God. Well, so does love. If right now you're angry because the world is acting like the world, you have forgotten your role in the world. If you're upset that California is so chaotic, then you've forgotten what happens when you walk away from God. It is the, sec it is the secular republic of California. And chaos reigns where Satan rules. If you are surprised that Seattle has rioting, you have forgotten what Romans 1 says. Romans 1 is not about homosexuality. It's about what happens when you stop bowing the knee to God. On the other hand, the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be marked by love. And we will be if we're inhabited by the Holy Spirit. There you go again. So are you saying somebody not loving is not saved? That's between you and the Savior. I'm not going to say you're not. I'm not going to say you are. I'm not saying you lose your salvation. I'm simply saying that we in the church have replaced Christian religious with Holy Spirit-filled living. And only one of the two validate a Christian walk and life. God is love. And if we don't love, we should question whether He's in us. That is a natural outgrowth of the Holy Spirit's presence. Jesus didn't wake up one day and say to the Father, and I know that that's stupid, okay? Just bear with me. So you want me to go down there and you want me to be born? What am I going to do for nine and a half months while I'm hanging out in her womb? I mean, what? You know, in that first two years when I'm really dumb, Jesus didn't ask that question. You know why? It wasn't even in his thinking. He loved us. And he and the Father and the Holy Spirit got together and they set a plan into action that was a good plan based on love and we're saved because of it. How can we not be loving? As America goes down, and I do think it's going down, instead of telling America off, we should tell them up. Your hope is in the Lord who has made heaven and earth. Look what he did in the first advent. He came and walked among us. Well, why would God do that? Because he's so in love with us. Yeah, but why wouldn't he float down on a cloud? Because his message is for shepherds. And his message are for Gentile magi. And his message are for poor people in Nazareth. And Zavala. And Mississippi. And Chicago. The answer to Chicago's murder question is not a Republican mayor. It's Jesus Christ. You don't kill people if you love them. Church, the well, Okay, getting off my notes. Got to go back. Love is what defines a true follower of Jesus. It marks us. It characterizes us. If we are truly inhabited by His Holy Spirit. In this past year of political and social unrest, how have we responded to our frustrations? The world is blind. Why do we get mad when they act like it? It doesn't make sense. We are the people who offer the light of the world. We're the ones with the flashlight. Why do we walk into a room with a gun or a battering ram? 
That's not how Jesus entered. Well, they ended up killing him, and I don't want to be killed. That's only because you don't realize how awesome heaven is. By the way, I wasn't smiling there or being cute. The reason I don't want to die is because I value life more than I value eternity. And that's not okay. You see, the New Testament church, as I've already said, was constantly calling for the return of Christ. I'm constantly calling, call, crying out to God for a better life. That's because I'm selfish. Thank God for the mess our country's in. Now, church, we get to rise up and love them. Now we get to tell them where hope is found. Well, they're not listening. Then go on to the next person. Many didn't listen to Jesus. We should love like Jesus loved. And people rejected him. My goodness, we just studied that in the upper room after he ascended into heaven, there was only 120 people out of 500 who saw him resurrected. Only 120. Well, I don't like those numbers. Neither do I, but in heaven the numbers will be in our favor. But in this world, Jesus said, we're going to have trouble. But I've overcome this is all while Jesus' teaching on love is so radical. And that's what takes us to the third and final thing I want to share with you. And that is that God's supernatural, Holy Spirit-empowered love empowers us to cross all man-made boundaries. Um, I, I don't know how to say this, so I need your brain to be engaged. Prejudice. Prejudice. Um, Prejudice and racism and division is a part of the fallen human experience. Every one of us have it. Black towards whites, whites towards black, uh, brown towards white, brown towards black, black, uh, Samaritan and Jew, uh, whatever. It's part of the human fallen experience. Why? Because it's through racism and our feelings that we try to climb to the top. If our group... It's what the same-sex community is trying to do right now. They were started by wanting marriage, and then it went to uh, wanting to be affirmed, and now it's they want endorsement. They're trying to crawl to the top of the social scale. You get that, right? That's what the lost do. They try to become number one. The church doesn't. We don't have to be number one. This isn't our world. We're just passing through. We will become number one because our king is number one. But not now. You see, while we traverse this, your feelings towards people is going to be the same. It may always bother you to a degree when somebody's pants are down to here and their music is too loud. I, I fought with it yesterday. Julie and I were walking in downtown Lufkin and four motorcycles went by and their music was way too loud and I thought I was better than them. That was a joke. You didn't laugh. You took that serious. I think I'm better than most people in Walmart, but yesterday I didn't think that. Thank you for laughing. I'm teasing. I say that to my kids to really tick them off. It makes Annie crazy. We'll be in Walmart and I'll go, I really do think I'm better than most of these people here. <laughs> Dad, you can't see that. You're a pastor. But the, the truth is, there's something in our flesh that wants to be better. I want to be better than all the other churches in the community. I want to have a better facility. I want better looking congregation. I got that. I want all those things. I want my family to be superior. I want my house to be prettier. I want all those things. None of those have anything to do with God. In fact, they're all antithetical to who God is. You see, the truth is, if I love like God loves with the Holy Spirit's empowerment, 
at Walmart, I should be just as kind to the guy who's wearing no shirt, tight, tight jeans, boots, and only has seven teeth. Because Jesus died for those seven teeth. We're laughing because you know you're just as prejudicial as I am. Those boundaries are broken down by the cross, by Jesus Christ. That's why the shepherds were in there. Who would have invited shepherds to the party of a king? That's why the Magi are there. This isn't just for poor people. That's another message of the church. Jesus doesn't love rich people. That's not true. The Magi were incredibly wealthy. They were there. Jesus didn't hate religious Jews. Zachariah and, uh, and uh, I am drunk. Kill Elizabeth, sorry. That's what happened. <laughs> Zachariah and Elizabeth. He loved them. You can't think of one group of people except Pharisees and Sadducees that were not invited to the birth of Jesus Christ, including angels. And you and I. And those all same groups are invited to the second advent of Jesus Christ. The question is, will you invite them? As the shepherds went out having experienced the Savior in the manger, it says that after that they went out and told everybody what they saw. Everybody. Are you? Are we? Or are we telling them about our cool church? And it is cool. If you've never been to Carpenter's Way, Best preaching ever. The rest is that. The truth is, it's God that's cool. And then we come together and remind each other. I, I, am, not, I am not dogging you if you're frustrated politically and citizenship-wise. I am too, so I turned the news off. So you want to live in ignorance? I am not ignorant if I put my hope in the Lord. I'm not. I promise you. Well, you should know. I voted. What else do you want me to do? Grab a gun? Seriously? I mean, what do you want us to do? What is your end game? I'm not going to. Okay. Good luck with that. Invite people to the second advent. His love for us, if you think about the story, it not only propels us, but it empowers us to tell others. All right, I'm almost done. I want to show you 1 Corinthians 13, Kevin and then we're going to be done. This is not 1 Corinthians 13 for weddings. It's fine. But this is what Paul said to religious people. If I could speak all the languages of earth and angels, but I didn't love others, I'm only a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all all of God's secret plans, and I possessed all knowledge. He's not saying he does. He's saying if I do. If I have all that stuff. If I have such faith that I could move mountains, but I don't love others, I'm nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor, and I even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. I could tell others. But if I don't love them, I will have gained nothing. You guys know that. Because the church in this culture is fairly irrelevant. Because what we've been doing is not what Jesus did. He, he came and lived among us 
and walked among us and talked among us. And while at calling for repentance, he talked about hope. The word gospel is good news. He didn't spend his life talking about how unfair the Roman government was. And yes, there were times he clearly talked about the religious leaders and how evil they were. But most of his message was one of, come with me, pick up your cross, follow me. What's our message today? That Trump should be president? Seriously? That the most important thing we could do is keep America right or moral? Is that really all we've got? That our churches are beautiful? That we've got the best? Our message is Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave him his only begotten son. That's love. And we should love the same way he did. By the way, Philippians chapter 2 that I read you that you're familiar with, though he was God and he was God, he did not cling to his rights as God. Does anybody remember what the context of telling us that was? All right, Kevin, we'll see how good you are. Put verse 5 up there for me, please. It is in the list. We'll be patient. Philippians 2, verse 5. Uh-oh. You must have the same attitude that Christ had. Verse 6. That though he was God, he didn't think equality with God as something to cling to. Lord Jesus, help us love like you do. Help us not just talk about the nativity story. Help us live it. And we look forward to your return. Maranatha. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Love you guys. I'm struggling with you. We'll see you next week. It's going to be our, our final week of Advent. Uh, it's on Christ. Have a great week.